You're listening to DraftKings Network. Is it safer on grass? I would think so, sure. Are owners going to change to grass? No. No. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We are produced, as always, by Jack Connell, musical producer, my son. That music you hear under us, Sam Brandt. And we're sponsored by DraftKings, as always. A lot of people asking my reaction to Aaron Rodgers going down the other night. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about grass fields. I'll talk about the end of the holdouts for Nick Bosa, the end of the holdout for Chris Jones. I'll talk about the charter spectrum ESPN dispute. I'll talk about... Mel Tucker, the coach of Michigan State, whether he's going to get paid his $80 million due on his contract. All these things ahead on this special Brant's Rants edition of the Business of Sports. And without further ado, let's get right to it. I'm going to talk about Aaron. So many things to say about Aaron Rodgers tearing his Achilles the other night. I think the overwhelming feeling I just have to say is I think a lot of people have this feeling. I'm just sad. I'm sad for two people, two, one person and one group of people. I'm sad for Aaron, and I'm sad for Jets fans. Uh, listen, this is a, this, what we sell in sports is hope. You know, what we really sell in sports to fan bases is hope. Aaron Rodgers gave Jets fan bases hope. Now, whether it was realistic for Super Bowl, realistic for Super Bowl champion, for playoffs, for first round, whatever it is, there's a lot of hope with Aaron Rodgers signing with the Jets and being traded to the Jets. There was excitement. There was palpable happiness among Jets fans. And you know what? On the other side, there was a new Aaron Rodgers. Listen, however many years he was in Green Bay, 16, 17, 18, I mean, it gets stale. Any relationship gets stale. Everyone listening knows that. And I can relate as much as anyone to what Aaron Rodgers went through. I got stale in Green Bay, from my point of view and probably from theirs. It was time for a change. And it was definitely time for a change for Aaron from both sides. The Packers had replaced him. They took his replacement in the draft three years ago, just like he was the replacement. They took three years before moving away from Brett Favre. It's very simple. This got stale, and he needed rejuvenation. He needed renewal. He needed to feel energized, as did the fan base. It was a perfect marriage. So Aaron Rodgers goes to the Jets this honeymoon of an offseason. He's there. He's participating. He's the star of Hard Knocks. He's going to Broadway shows. He's going to Knicks games. He's going to uh, the U.S. Open. He is around New York with his teammates, not only Randall Cobb and the older guys, the Lazard, but around Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, the younger guys as well. He's making comments about Mechie Becton and putting his arm around him and propping him up, a guy that's had a hard time in his early part of his career. It was perfect, right? All they needed to do was just get on the field and play. And alas, that happened. Four plays. I got notes from Jets fans Monday night. 
had him for four plays. You can't have nice things. All the people, the things people say about the Jets. And yes, they won the game, but no, there's no hope, right? Listen, there's no, that not with that quarterback. Yes, the defense is very good. Yes, the running game is very good. Yes, incredibly dynamic receiver with Garrett Wilson, but no, not with that quarterback. And by the way, that quarterback was the number two overall pick and replaced a quarterback who was the number three overall pick. Where do I hear about this harsh New York media? Has the harsh New York media really come down that hard on the Jets? I mean, two picks in the top five, top three over how many years? Five years? One's gone, stopped in Carolina, now in San Francisco, Sam Darnold, and one they tried as hard as they could to replace, but he's back. He's back. And listen, they're not going anywhere with him. Can they win some games? Sure. With that defense and running game? Sure. But they're not going anywhere. So the hopes are dashed, and the hopes are dashed for Aaron. You know, listen, I've heard on the Packer side people say, oh, my, we're not getting our number one pick. Well, they were, you know, for those who don't know, the trade included a number one pick coming back to the Packers next year if Aaron played 65%. It didn't even have a playoff requirement on it, just 65%. And, of course, he won't play that. So instead of a first-round pick, it's not like they're getting nothing. They're getting a second-round pick, which could be a high second-round pick. It could be the 40th pick in the draft. It could be the 35th pick in the draft. Who knows? That's strong. So when you look at what this trade will end up being, it will be a pick swap last, I'm sorry, this past year that brought the Packers, Lucas Van Ness, and brought the Jets, Will McDonald, and then a high pick this past draft in the second round. They took the tight end that's starting from, for them from day one, Luke Musgrave. And then what may be a high second-round pick next year. And then they offload $108 million, which was later changed by Rodgers to $75 million, for a player that was never, ever going to play there again. They replaced him. So the haul the Packers got from the Jets, who were the only suitor for Aaron Rodgers' services, is still incredibly impressive. And they wrangled that out of the Jets in a, uh, a trade where I thought from the beginning they had the leverage and they used it. So that's where that is. From Aaron's point of view, a lot of people are asking me, is he going to come back? I don't know. I don't think he knows. I really don't. I mean, there's people speculating, of course, he don't want to go out that way. He owes it to the Jets. And there's people speculating after this gruesome injury, he's just going to go. We'll see. I think he rehabs like anyone will, whether player or not. It's a tough rehab. Right now, that Achilles is kind of hanging in there. He's not going to have surgery right away. When he does, he's going to be a boot. Then there's going to be slowly weight-bearing with a, with a bridge in his shoe and all these kind of things. It's going to take a while, at least, I don't know, nine months, ten months, and then we'll see. But I don't think he's going to decide that for a long time. And now, if he does come back, you know, he's got $38 million guaranteed money. If he doesn't, he walks away from that. The cap impact, well, it's going to be bad for the Jets either way. You know, if he retires next year, it's, he's going to, you know, it's, this cap impact's going to be bad either way. It's going to be bad either way. The Packers are counting $40 million on the cap for Aaron, by far and away their highest cap charge. 
But that's off the books next year. And of course, the Jets have no such luxury. It's not off the books next year. It's, not, it's off the books in 2025. And they may even try to push that back if Aaron's willing to do that. So there are a lot of reverberations from what's happening with Aaron Rodgers uh, based on that injury. And yes, he played four plays. Was he more susceptible as an older player? I think you have to say yes, of course. You know, I see all kinds of athletes, not my age, but younger than my age, trying to act like they were when they were in their 20s and 30s. It's not happening. I understand I have to slow down a little bit, and I, I do a lot of sprint work and speed work, so I'm worried about my Achilles. But I get it. It's tougher for older players, and he's an older player. That's just reality. Um, so I feel for Aaron. I feel for the Jets fans. Hope is gone. Listen, they're not signing Tom Brady, right? They're not signing some veteran that's going to swoop in on his white horse and, and save this team. They are going to sign someone to back up Zach Wilson, but I wouldn't get too excited about that person, who may end up playing if Zach Wilson, as I predict, is going to be bad. But that's not going to save their season. Aaron Rodgers came in and said, I'm not going to be a savior. I laughed. Of course he was a savior, but no longer because of his Achilles. So here we are. Uh, I don't wish this on Aaron or my fr friends who support the Jets. I get it. I'm sorry. I have an overwhelming feeling of sadness that this happened. Now, let's get to the surface on which this Achilles uh, was torn. And this happens every year when there's an injury on turf like this, when there's an ACL and Achilles, especially to a star player, we ramp up the discussion about turf fields versus grass fields. Had Aaron Rodgers' injury not happened, had his former teammate and good friend, David Bakhtiari not tweet and talk about it right away, we wouldn't be talking about it. Again, think about this reactive stuff. How many people were talking about grass fields versus turf fields except for the union, which couldn't do anything about it until now? Well, now we're talking about it. Is it safer on grass? I would think so, sure. Are owners going to change to grass? No. No. Okay? So... The owners, if you haven't learned anything about the business of sports, and I would think the NFLPA and all the players, of course know this. The owners are not doing anything because it's the right thing to do. The owners are not doing anything out of the kindness of their hearts. The owners are not going to change fields at a significant cost just because. If that was the case, this would have happened a long time ago. And MetLife Stadium, where the Giants and Jets play, would not have turf. Do you think they're going to change their stripes overnight based on Aaron Rodgers? And people say, well, it's an investment in the players. How, how does that work so far? They've always had investments in players, in their top players, in top players getting hurt with ACLs and Achilles on turf. Here is the problem for the NFLPA. To get turf fields, which they continue to advocate for and make these bold statements... That's not going to happen organically. You have to negotiate that. And to negotiate that, what do you have to do to negotiate? Class, you have to give something in return. It's called consideration. We give you X, you give us Y. We agree on this compromise and we make it happen. The problem for the NFL Players Association is they have nothing left to give. 
They've given away the franchise tag. They've given away a great economic split for the owners. They've given away the commissioner power that was able to have a pellet process, even on Deshaun Watson. They've given away all these things. Now you think they're going <laughs> to they're going to get grass fields for what? An 18th game of the season? They've given away a 17th game just like that. They have a 10-year CBA, which doesn't even get negotiated again for like six years, seven years. So I just don't know what, you know, it's fine to make these bold statements, but what are you going to do about it? When the owners collectively or individually say, no, we're staying with turf, even if we bring in grass for World Cup games, even if we bring in grass for international soccer friendlies, what are you going to do about it? You going to strike? You're going to demand a negotiation and give up something. And you may not get to negotiate until the CBA, if that. So again, like everything, it just kind of comes out like that. And I feel for players like Aaron that get injured on turf. But to think that owners are going to just do something about it, it's naive. It's absolutely naive. Maybe they do something about it if they get something in return. It's all bargaining, right? These owners did not make their billions by being nice guys by being altruistic, by doing something out of kindness of their arts. You know, I remember having uh, Mark Rogers on the podcast talking about Russell Wilson's contract negotiation, and he's negotiating with the Walmart family. You know, how many billions of, of dollars do they, is their net worth? And he said they were incredibly hard negotiators, fighting over every penny. That's what these people do. That's how they make their billions. <laughs> okay. Just have to understand that, okay? I just, I just try to get people to understand that, especially when the union says, "Hey, they should give us grass fields." Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Okay. Speaking of the business of NFL, two big holdouts, uh, both defensive linemen, and ironically, both scheduled at least a week ago to make nineteen million dollars this year. Now, one is making less, and one is making a lot more in the divergent path of two holdouts, a tale of two holdouts gone exactly different ways. Okay, where do you want to go first? Let's start with the good news, not the bad news. The good news is Nick Bosa and the 49ers. He got a massive deal. He held out throughout training camp. He incurred fines every day. His fines were rescinded. Now, you can do that with a rookie contract. The team can rescind all the fines. He got a deal worth $170 million on the five-year extension, if you add in the 19, that's 189 over 6 rather than 170 over 5. 170 over 5 gives an APY average per year of 34 million. 189 over 6 average per year of 31.4 or 5. Either way, it's a massive number. Even if you go with the 6-year number, that's basically the same number as Aaron Donald, who got 95 over 3, and that's a quarterback number. These are quarterback numbers, right? When you're making 95, 98, whatever it is, he's making 98, uh, Bosa, over three. That's quarterback money. That's more than Josh Allen making over his first three years. And, of course, it's $33 million more than Patrick Mahomes made over his first three years. Mahomes is in another category altogether. But Bosa gets paid $50 million signing bonus, uh, the fines are relinquished. He comes back and plays. It's a massive deal. It's the best non-quarterback deal in the history of the NFL 
perhaps save for Aaron Donald. Wow. Bosa, you know, sometimes we throw around these words like got paid. In this case, he really did. He got paid. Nick Bosa joins Joey Bosa, his brother, in breaking the record. Bosa did this several years ago. Joey on the Chargers getting a $27 million APY. Uh, I have written on Twitter and joked, but not so jokingly, saying that these two should have their own wing in the Business of Football Hall of Fame, the family wing, for each getting this. So $27 million a year, $34 million a year for brothers within a couple years. Strong. Strong. They probably can join the Mannings in the Business of Football Hall of Fame in that family wing we're going to open up for the Boses and the Mannings. All right? So... That's one side of the holdout story. The other one, not so much for the player. In fact, a great deal for the team. Chris Jones, star defensive tackle for the Kansas City Chiefs, missed the first game. He's scheduled to make $19 million, as I said, so he misses out on a million one by just not showing up that game. He already missed out on a half-a-million-dollar workout bonus. He also missed out on minicamp because he had fines of $100,000. And accumulated training camp fines of over $2.5 million, which cannot be rescinded. When he comes in now, what does he get? Well, he gets incentives. And you're like, as I was like, is that all? And the answer is, that's all. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Chris Jones comes in, instead of making $19 million, he's making now $18 because he gave up the first week. He's got... Two, three, four million dollars of fines, whatever it is, two million of fines. He doesn't get that back, but he gets to make it up with incentives. Incentives. I mean, they start at 35% and, and 50%, but that's, those aren't big numbers. The real big incentive numbers come from things like uh, being in the Super Bowl and being all pro first team or winning the Super Bowl and being the defensive player of the year. That's where like three, four million of the incentive. I'm like, wait a minute, is that the end of the deal? Like, there's no real money in this. He had a holdout, and he comes back, and he gets no new money. Not like Josh Jacobs with the uh, Raiders was supposed to make 10, comes back, he's got 11.8, right? Like, 1.7, just come back in, feel good. Jones has nothing. And unless I'm reading this wrong, no new money. Incentive, sure. If I'm a team, like, yeah, incentives, fine. Like, you got to play. And maybe some of those incentives get them back to $19 million, easy. But are you kidding me? I don't understand this deal. I don't understand the holdout. What did Chris Jones accomplish in this holdout? What did he accomplish? If he just wanted a vacation from training camp, great. But now he's talking about, I miss my teammate. Come on. Like, what are they doing here? What is Chris Jones doing? What happened? What did the agents try to accomplish? I thought he'd hold out to week eight, come back, get whatever he's going to get for six, seven weeks, get his free agent year, and he's a free and he's a franchise tag next. I mean, he's a free agent next year. Obviously, subject to the tag. And then with this deal, I'm like, well, I'm sure he got a no tag clause next year. No, he can be tagged. He can be tagged. I'm like, what am I missing with Chris Jones? If I'm the Chiefs, I, I want to sign that deal before they change their mind. So we have a divergent tale of two holdouts. 
One, the players rewarded handsomely, lavishly, and almost stupidly by the team. The other, the player gives up incredible leverage, gives up any leverage, and just takes what the team offers. I can't believe the incentives are that hard to reach at the higher levels, and I can't believe there's no new money. I can't believe there's no money, real money. Not incentive money, real money. can't believe he's walking in with a salary of $18 million after holding out with a salary of $19 million, and all he gets is incentives. I just can't believe it. It's the anti-business Hall of Fame, Chris Jones. Okay, next issue. You know my saying, deadline spur action. We talked about this in the podcast last week, and lo and behold, they did. Charter Spectrum, the cable service for 15 million subscribers, mostly New York, L.A., uh, and Dallas, they come to an agreement with ESPN Disney. And this was an 11-day standoff that forced viewers to miss the U.S. Open and miss two weekends of college football. And those deadlines did not spur action. But we all knew there was one deadline that was going to spur action. Monday night football two nights ago between the Aaron Rodgers and the Jets and the Buffalo Bills. That was going to spur action, as I said, and lo and behold, it did. We have a deal announced Monday afternoon, of course, literally hours before the ESPN game, which drew a record number, 200, I think, 22-something million average viewers, the most since a 2009 game when Brett Favre made his return to Green Green Bay playing for the Minnesota Vikings. Of course, these Packer quarterbacks, former Packer quarterbacks, draw these incredible ratings. They made a deal. Now, looking at the deal parts, I'm not a broadcast expert, but it seems like now the part of the deal beyond the money and all that, what really was seemed to be important for both sides is that Charter Spectrum Select Plus customers, in other words, you get the higher tier package on your bundle with Charter, you now also get Disney Plus and ESPN Plus. That seemed to be a major feature of this. So what they're doing is they're making the bundle more attractive. That way, Charter gets more people to buy it, and that's where that way ESPN and Disney get more people watching ESPN Plus and Disney Plus. Seems like that could have been done weeks ago, months ago. Of course, it took till the deadline of Monday Night Football with Aaron Rodgers, who lasted four plays, and Josh Allen in that game. Uh, yes, deadline spur action. It happened. Charter Spectrum is now in contract, under contract with ESPN Disney. Uh, it's really it's Charter and Disney, and their subsidiaries are Spectrum and uh, ESPN. It's interesting because I was driving from Rhode Island yesterday back to the Philly area, and I drove through, uh, what was it, um, Stamford, Connecticut. And I would see these big buildings, Charter and Spectrum, just right on the highway as this dispute was being resolved, I guess a day later. Um, So that deal's done. Last thing I want to talk about is under the men behaving badly situation, two things. First, in Spain, Luis Rubiales, been defiant since three weeks ago, the Women's World Cup, where he planted that kiss uh, on the lips to the Spanish star player. She was certainly upset. She's filed a sexual assault case. 
There were calls for him to resign from the Spanish Federation, uh, calls for him to get out, and it took three weeks, but yes, he's finally resigning. Uh, he still has this criminal case pending, but uh, even in resigning, he's claiming it was consensual. It was the player wanted to do that as well. It just, you kind of roll your eyes at that. Um, and then the other men behaving badly story is Michigan State, which has huge business of football ramifications. 2021, Mel Tucker, the coach of Michigan State, African-American, former player, has this great season, and they reward him with a stunning 10-year, $100 million contract in 2021. We're now two years into that. And he's got $81 million left on this deal. Think about that. $81 million, eight years left on this deal. And he is under a leave right now based on his actions towards Brenda Tracy, who is a sexual assault survivor that speaks to groups and schools about her issues and what uh, sort of a counseling to players on what not to do and how their actions can be perceived by young women. Um, she was helping out Michigan State, and as I read it, as allegedly, Mel Tucker and her have had some calls privately about this issue, and on one of the calls, he uh, was making some suggestive remarks, and according to her, masturbating. Now it's under the title, she reported to the Title IX counselor at Michigan State, and he's been put on leave, and with their history of Larry Nasser and the abused gymnasts all those years, this is not a good look for Michigan State, for him. I doubt he'll ever coach there again. Now we get to the issue, which everyone cares about most, is money. What's going to happen to that $80 million? He's going to fight it. He is already claiming that her actions, Miss Tracy, were consensual, and he is victimizing the victim. So... We'll see where this men behaving badly story goes, but as of now, Mel Tucker is going to have to fight at best for his $80 million. They're trying to fire him eventually, I would think, for cause, meaning they're relieved from any financial obligation due to his actions. There will be lawyers. There are lawyers. There will continue to be lawyers. When you're talking about $80 million at stake for a university, public university, lawyers, lots of them. Mel Tucker will be fighting not only for his career, but for his financial future. We're going to follow that. Okay. I wanted to go through all these things in my usual half-hour Brant's rants, and I got them in. I want to have everyone um, let me know. Feedback's always important. You can feedback me directly at andrew at andrew-brant.com. Go to andrew-brant.com for... My newsletter and my Sports Business League, go to sportsbusinessleague.com. Of course, my Instagram reels, Andrew Brandt 2 Twitter, as you know, Andrew Brandt. Share the podcast with a friend. I hope it's something you enjoy. It's a different look on sports and sports business, maybe that hopefully that you don't get anywhere else. And leave us rankings and comments. We really appreciate that. Thanks to Jack Connell, my producer, my musical producer. That music you hear is from Sam Brandt. Thanks to you for listening, as always, and uh, appreciate my loyal and intelligent fan base that really wants more from their sports talk than they get other places. Love you guys. I'll see you next week on another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Grant. <laughs>